Welcome to the Spiritual Boss Babe Podcast. If you're a woman who is ready to step into your power and manifest a life and business that sets your soul on fire, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Stephanie Bellinger, and I'm a mindset and success coach for spiritual entrepreneurs. I am obsessed with helping my fellow soul sisters shine their light and live out their purpose so they can experience more magic in everyday life. We all have a special purpose here and we're meant to share our message and gifts with the world. You deserve to be fully supported emotionally, spiritually, and financially from doing your soul's work. Together, we can make a massive impact in the world and it's time. So let's do this. In this episode, I have the amazing Jana Romer here with me, and I'm so excited for you to dive in. Jana is such an amazing soul, and she teaches people, she guides the practice of yoga nidra and combines it with her love of astrology to create a unique and original offering called of astro nidras. And she explains all about like what this is and how powerful it can be uh, to add to your practice and your life. And it, it was really fun learning about all of this from Jana because over the last 12 years, she's taught hundreds of people how to teach yoga, how to guide yoga nidra, and more recently has started to teach astrology. So we also dive into some really cool astrology talk in this episode. I had so much fun learning some new things from Jana uh, around astrology, and it's really, really insightful. So Jana is all about leading people to finding themselves and falling deeply, deeply in love with themselves. In essence, leading people to the self-love that lives inside because that is truly what creates miracles in all facets of your life because everything's created from the inside out. And when you fill up your own cup and you fill up that own well of self-love inside of you in every way you can imagine, it's going to reflect on your in your outer world in a profound way way. So I'm excited for you to jump into this episode and learn more about Jenna and hear more about her teachings because it's really, really amazing. Make sure that you check out the show notes as well so that you know where to find her after this episode. So without further ado, let's welcome Jenna onto the show. Welcome, Jenna. I'm so excited to have you on the show and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. What a, what a gift. Yeah, I'm excited to dive in, especially on all things astrology. <laughs> you know, it's funny, I haven't actually had any guests on the show that like really dove into that. So I think that'll be a juicy part of this podcast. Yeah, I love astrology. I could talk about it for days. So <laughs> <laughs> so what what led you on the path to doing the work that you're doing now in the world and and helping people in the way that you are? I mean, to look back at where I've been and how I've worked over the decades of my professional life, it would be a long and windy road of following interest, you know, following my own curiosity and, and interest. And if I were to draw like one common thread through everything that I've done, it would be this desire to help people not suffer, to help people to really figure out who they are and why they're here. And that would be the common thread, no matter what medium I was using, if it was yoga or meditation or movement or 
um, now this yoga nidra that I'm really into and astrology, especially my goodness, there's no better way to get to know yourself and understand your, your why for being here or to validate the things that the world says you shouldn't do. Astrology mm -hmm. often shows people the very thing that people are telling you that is impossible or the very thing that people are saying that, that you shouldn't do that is actually written in your natal chart that that's exactly what you should do. And I really enjoyed that about astrology is that it helps connect people back to themselves. Mm. And how long have you been into astrology? Like, has that always been like an interest of yours for a while? And you just, did you start learning on your own? And then it just kind of became like a passion of yours? I've always been interested in the stars and the moon. Um, you know, even as a kid, that was where I felt safe. <laughs> I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so I could see the sky every night that was clear. And then I, I laugh because I'm old enough that the internet didn't exist before. I, and then the first thing I could ever buy on the internet when the internet started was um, I bought myself a natal chart reading. And so my interest has always been there. It's always, always, always been there. Um, but I always just thought it was something to study and read about as a hobby or as my own personal interest. I never thought it could be something that I could make a career out of. Mm. And I had uh, girlfriends ask me to tell them something from their chart or to read their chart based off of what I knew. And they would be either in tears or hysterically laughing or feeling so seen that they would beg me to do it. You know, I remember mm. my one girlfriend, as I started to go through her chart, she had tears streaming down her face. And she's like, I have tears for two reasons. One, I've never felt so seen. And two, you really need to do this for a living. Wow. <laughs> you know? And so it wasn't, I, I, I would say it wasn't something I chose. It's something that chose me. Mm. And do you find that the astrology charts are like super accurate? Have you ever experienced something that either you didn't want to believe or someone didn't want to believe that they did or that didn't fully resonate? <laughs> well, there's a lot that you can find in a chart. Mm. And so I did have one reading with a girlfriend of mine and we both of us were like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense because what the chart was saying is that she would be a little bit lost and confused on direction for career. And this woman is like super on point with her career, you know, and we we're mm. like, that just doesn't make sense. And so she went back to her mom and did some research on her birth time and she had her birth time wrong. And it was wrong by an hour and 45 minutes, which completely changed what was going on with the reading, you know, where wow. in the 12th house, like if you've seen a chart, it looks like a pie graph mm -hmm. and each piece is of the pie is a, it's called a house. And in the 12th house, it's the things that we struggle to see. But in the first house, which they're right beside each other, because it's a circle, the first house is your identity, <laughs> you know, your very identity. And so we needed to move the things that were hidden in the 12th house into the first house for it to make sense for her. And once we did that, everything made sense. Um, as far as like things that you don't want to see, I, always get myself in trouble where I look back and be like, wow, that was written in the chart, but I didn't want to see it because I think that's human nature. You don't want bad things to happen or you don't want uh, to be deceived or you don't want to, I don't know, meet life's challenges. You always want it. Well, at least I do. I always want it to be good. I always want it. 
I want to believe in people. I want to trust that people are good people, mm-hmm. you know, and will do the right thing. But, you know, looking back, sometimes it's so obvious that I feel like a fool because <laughs> mm-hmm. even with the tool right there, I'm still a human. Yeah. Where do you think like the line with free will comes in with astrology? Like oh, what's your take huge. on that? Yeah. Oh, free will is absolutely a part of astrology. All it's showing is potentials, possibilities, and it's showing um, like dynamic or waves of energy or waves of, um, it's like, it's like weather patterns that come and go. So -hmm. you could look at the weather, it's going to rain. Okay, great. It's going to rain. But then how we go about our day within the rain is going to vary by each individual person. Somebody might turn it into a big sob story and curl up on a book on the couch and cry about it. And somebody else might, you know, drive out of the city and find a field and strip off their clothes and dance naked in the rain. You know, the rain Mm. is still the same, but the person and their own free will and how they engage with that rain is completely different. Mm. I love that metaphor. What's that? I said, I love that metaphor. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten into astrology, but I never got like super, super, super deep into it outside of like the basics. (laughs) Yeah, I've been calling 2020 astrology's redemption year because it is so obvious that what's happening in the stars is exactly what's happening in the world. And I actually was just listening to a, um, (laughs) to a, um, a recording that I had made in the middle of 2019 about 2020's astrology. Mm. And so imagine that you don't know anything about 2020 and you run back to June of 2019. And what I had said is the astrology is showing that on a global scale, we will see disruption and perhaps even dissolving or deconstruction of all systems and structure, that there will be major upheaval in governments, that we will have differences in the school systems, the medical system, the financial systems, the way that we commune as, as people, even in, you know, like, and, and, you know, I can say all of that from the astrology, Mm -hmm. but never did I say, we're going to have a pandemic. But when I look at it, it's like, what else could possibly have disrupted all systems and structure like a pandemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's where I often say astrology is easier to look at in reverse, to make sense of in reverse. Mm-hmm. That's so, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's not like super detailed like that, but it's like, oh, okay, in retrospect, this makes sense now. Yeah. I mean, my brother, who is not into astrology at all, and I would say, I mean, he has a spiritual belief, but he's not religious or I don't know what his relationship with a word like God would be. But he, I told him what was going on with the astrology and uh, in, in August of 2019. And he looked at me and he was like, what could do that, Jenna? Like a pandemic? And so my brother, who's like nothing to do with astrology or any of this, he, he called it. He said a pandemic. And I was like, I don't even want to say that out loud because that would be horrible but that would take care of everything that we see in the astrology. Wow. So what do you see like going forward? Is there something, anything specific, like prediction wise that you've been like noticing or kind of diving into? 
Well, we do see a substantial shift in the energies that we get to play with on winter solstice. I'm not sure when you're going to publish this, <laughs> but on winter solstice, which is December 21st, we have what's called a grand conjunction. And a grand conjunction is when Saturn and Jupiter are at the same degree in the sky. And actually you can go um, look at the sky tonight and um, just after sundown, look for two really bright stars coming together in the um, eastern sky. And that's Saturn and Jupiter. If anybody has those apps, you can turn the app on and mm. it shows where they are. And Saturn and Jupiter are the closest they'll, they've been since like the 1600s Wow! In, on December 21st of this year. And a grand conjunction is, it, it's kind of normal because it happens every 20 years where these two come together. But this year, the difference is for the last 200 years, they've been coming together in earth signs. And this year they come together in Aquarius, which is an air sign. Mm. And, and when I've researched this, a lot of astrologers say that really quickly and um, that it has been 200 years in earth signs. But actually in the 80s, we saw them come together in an air sign. And so for everybody that doesn't understand astrology, I'm going to make this really simple. When we look at earth, earth is our material possessions, our belongings, like our house, our computer, our car, our clothes, you know, anything that is made of matter that falls into the realm of earth. And air has a lot to do with our minds, intelligence, intellect. It has to do with community and conversations. And because it's Aquarius, it has a lot to do with humanity, but also innovation. And so when we look at like 8081, what was significant looking back at that, that, that time was that's when the personal computer came about, right? 8081, the personal computer came about. Then in, the, in 2000, it happened in an earth sign again. And now we, having it, we have it in an air sign. And what I'm seeing is that we're moving from the material to the ethereal. And the computer that was brought about at the same time as the last time it was in air um, is now going through a mutation. We are using our computers to basically dissolve borders. Like look at you're in Austin and I'm in Canada mm -hmm. and there's no way that we could work together except for this beautiful little computer that we sit in front of and our way of um, you know, collaborating or, or coming together through the airwaves. And so when I look at this as a, as a shift, it's from the material to the ethereal, the way that we organize becomes much more free. Communities no longer have borders the same way as they once did. Like we're not limited by come to my office. We're not limited by uh, location. We're moving more into somewhat of a, I like using the word quantum, a quantum mm -hmm. reality where time and space has a new definition. And so when I have been contemplating this, some of the things that I've been thinking about is we have to figure out a new way of organizing ourselves. Mm -hmm. People who are really good at organizing their ethereal or their invisible information. So their intellectual property, um, I, I, this makes me laugh. I think about all the online courses that I personally have bought and I have no idea where they are. Like I didn't mm. organize my virtual, um, library very well. 
So, you know, I've spent money and I, I don't know where they are. So the people that will get ahead in the new world will, will be those that can organize that information very well and have clear systems and structure around the ethereal world that is integrating both the masculine and the feminine and thinking more along the lines of humanity versus property or versus material things. So it's a reorganization of priorities, of structure, of system, and then also what we, what we derive value from. Mm. And there's, this, uh, there's an astrologer named Johannes Kepler. He died a couple hundred years ago. <laughs> he died a while ago. Um, but he's kind of a badass astrologer. And he was doing all this work before we had the internet. And he calculated like hundreds of years of this grand conjunction. And every 200 years where it changes signs he gave it a different name. He calls it the grand mutation. And mm. he said things like, it's a changing of the guards. It's a changing of uh, the power figures. And so that's, that's a lot about what's moving yeah. in the astrology. And then next year, 2021, I'm not going to pretend that the problems that we are living within right now are going to disappear, but it's going to change. It's going to go through... Um, well, if we think about everything I just said from the material to the ethereal and reorganization of our systems and structures, we also have, um, two planets that are pretty heavy hitters, Saturn again, and Uranus, and they're square each other. And that means there's like a conflict between them. There's like a, there's like a challenge. They're presenting a challenge that will create a bit of more upheaval. We're not quite done with the upheaval. Um, I think January is going to be a very interesting month for sure. Um, and when I look at it, I can see everything from, um, I can see everything from the reorganization of the way borders are defined to the actual movement of the earth. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, like the actual movement of the earth. So um, we might see some, I, I don't know, I don't even want to say some of the things that are more scary, but we might see some earthquakes, you know, we might see some volcanic um, activity, um, but we see that all the time. So I don't say that to create fear. It's just the reality that the earth moves. Yeah. <laughs> action in January or into the beginning of the first uh, of uh, 2021. Um, but really the primary thing is, can we adapt and innovate? Can we adapt and innovate? So if we're yeah. holding on to the past at all, you want to go back to the office, that's not going to work out so well. We got to adapt and innovate to a new way of being. Yeah. What are some ways that you think people are going to be adapting and innovating? I think we're seeing it already. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, not, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't know what Zoom is now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Yeah. And I think that it's opened up so many doors, even though there's, you know, if you think of a constriction, you think of how a, a diamond is formed. It's like the earth presses and presses and presses and presses and presses and presses until this coal structure then is compressed so hard that it turns into a diamond. And so right now what's happening is we're feeling this constriction and this compression and it's like uncomfortable for all of us. But through that compression, if we can um, stand up into it and figure out how to make it work for us, we then become the diamond. Or have you ever done um, any cold plunging, like going mm -hmm. from a sauna? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> or like Wim Hof's work? Yeah. 
um, <laughs> I, you know, if just as a visceral experience for somebody to practice, if you were to go from a sauna into an ice bath, that's literally, and, I've done it and it's not fun. <laughs> I know it's so intense. And then w- stay in the ice bath until you can breathe again until you find your breath again, it changes you on a molecular level. Like it actually changes your nervous system. It works through a lot of our old information that we've been storing and it gives us a new sense of empowerment. I don't know, even though it was horrible, did you, did you feel really empowered after? I did. Yeah. The first time that I went, I literally, I couldn't say in. So it was, it was like maybe 30 seconds max. And it was so painful. I thought I was going to throw up and I got in again and I was breathing too fast. And so it was not allowing, I was not allowing my nervous system to actually calm down. But then I actually went again and we did three rounds of like from the cold to the hot tub to the cold to the hot tub, like after the sauna. And it was way easier. And I was able to stay in for like almost three minutes each time and my breathing, I just was focusing on like the slow breath. And even though it was still really uncomfortable, the slow breathing and just like focusing on that really helped. Yeah. And I felt really and, empowered after for sure. I was like, I did it. <laughs> and did you like learn, did it affect the way you were in your life at all? Did it change anything in you? Um, I think that it really reiterated the whole mind over matter thing and like, you know, how you, you can really, you can do a lot more than you think you're capable of. And, you know, um, yes, my body was feeling pain initially. Um, and also it's like that mind over matter thing. It's like, I could breathe through this. I'm fine. I'm not in danger. My body might be freaking out because it's like, what the fuck is going on? And I can override that through my breath and presence. See, and that's exactly the metaphor for this year. Look at, we had one, the first onset of coronavirus where everybody was like, "Ah!" so much anxiety and so much upheaval and we just wanted out. And so people did all kinds of things. I I know like liquor sales went up. I'm sure all the, like the pot, the dispensaries had a lot of sales, you know, like people ran away. People did what they could to run away or had a stress response of getting busier. Like I'm going to build this, I'm going to do this, or, you know, there was a lot. And so that would be like your first round. And then after that, we were like, oh, wait a minute, I can go shopping. That's not as big of a deal. I can do this. And we, you get, you re- introduce yourself to the world. And that was like your second one where you're mm-hmm. like, uh, and now here we are as we're recording this, it's kind of like the second wave coming of the coronavirus. But I think we're much more equipped this time. So many people aren't even paying attention mm-hmm. anymore, but we're much better equipped to just live our lives and still be resilient, even though it's, we're still in that pressure cooker. And so you can breathe easier, even though the pressure is still mounting, or you can breathe easier in the water, in the ice bath, Mm -hmm. because now you've acclimatized yourself to it. But what I really love that you said is it taught you mind over matter. Mm -hmm. And what's that? That's the material. That's the ethereal over the material. It's exactly what I was just saying about that change. So, wow, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't know you were going to say that and I didn't, it just worked out really well. Yeah. I didn't expect to say it either, but when, when you asked and I thought about it, it was, that's really the main thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like working out at the gym. Sometimes I was working out at the gym with a friend the other day and the same lesson was there. It's like, 
wait a minute, I found myself almost saying that I can't. And then it was just like, wait, 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 no. Breathe, focus, you got this. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And so no matter what the astrology is saying, what I've been encouraging people to do is their breath work or be deeply rested or whatever you can do for your mental health. You know, like if our mental health is grounded, you know, like if we can be present to ourselves instead of the world, I I like to think of it like this. We either live inside our nervous systems or we live outside of our nervous system. And when you're inside of your nervous system, you can sit in that ice bath and get a big drink of breath in, you know, you can breathe in there and become empowered. When you're outside of your nervous system, it's like the first dip in where you just want to get out. You feel like you're going to vomit and there's like anxiety and stress and all this stuff that comes up around it. And so if we're outside of our nervous system, the nervous system starts bossing us around. We don't have as much control. We have anxiety. We have panic attacks. We have racing thoughts. We have depression. We have insomnia. So if we could do whatever it takes to teach ourselves how to get inside of our nervous system so we're not being bossed around by the external circumstances, that would be a better approach to the future than trying to distinguish what exactly the planets are saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's actually where I've taken the the way that I share astrology. I do give astro updates and all that stuff because people love it, but I deliver it also with practices like yoga nidra or breath work or meditation or movement so that we're not just victims to the astrology, we're in partnership with the astrology. We're in partnership with the world around us and we're in right relationship with all of our circumstances, but mostly with ourselves. Mm, Beautiful. And can you talk more about the yoga nidra? What is that like exactly? And how has your practice with that like began and evolved or strengthened? (laughs) Yeah. Yoga nidra is something that most people don't know or it's very difficult to explain. And because Mm -hmm. the word yoga is in it, people automatically get a picture of somebody standing in a lunge. (laughs) But what it actually is, you're laying down um, on your back like Shavasana, the, the final resting pose. And what you're doing is allowing your body and your ego to fall asleep in order to access your intuition, um, for some people, it's just about accessing deep rest. Um, and ultimately, it resets your nervous system and your whole chemical system in your body to give you more of that resilience or that grounded feeling. And my relationship with it, I, I first met the practice by mistake in a yoga class. It was called Soul Flow. And I was like, yeah, I like Soul Flow. That sounds good. <laughs> and I went and it was a 90 minute class. And the first hour was this really beautifully choreographed sequence of postures. And then the last third of the class was Shavasana. And the teacher said, imagine a blue light at your brow center. And then he continued to move this blue star through my body. And I heard him take it from my, my brow center to my right thumb. And then I don't remember anything else. I gapped out. (laughs) I wasn't sleeping, but I wasn't aware. And then he, and then he said, and now the practice of yoga nidra is complete. And that's what I heard him say. And then I was a little bit dazed, a little bit confused. I wasn't sure where I was. And I'm like, yoga class, 
what just happened? And before that, I was experiencing quite a bit of social anxiety. And after that class, it w- I think it was like 7.30 till 9 p.m. From 9 p.m. till I went to bed that night, my mind was the quietest I had ever experienced it in my entire life. Wow. And call it beginner's luck, because <laughs> I don't know if that's everybody's experience or not, but it did something. It left an imprint. Um, and then I didn't really touch the practice for uh, some time. And when I came back to it, every time I would do it, I would just fall asleep. And so I thought, well, there's not much benefit of this. And when I became a mother, I needed sleep. And so I started doing that instead of meditating. I, I, it was a lot for me to sit up and meditate and it was easy for me to lay down and do this practice. And somebody somewhere along the way had said, it doesn't matter if you are awake or not, you're still getting benefit from the practice. And so I thought, well, this is how I can maintain my practice while I'm super tired. And then over time, I was doing it almost every day. I still do um, probably three to five times a week. But in the beginning of my journey as a mother, I started to be aware for more of it. And it became kind of like a like a psychedelic journey for me. I don't know if you've ever done much psychedelics. Um, I, I'm but- all about psychedelics. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it became like a psychedelic journey where I would be I I would be kind of out of my body, but aware, but aware of something completely different than what I see in this material world. And the cues allow you to feel emotions. It allows you to imagine, it allows you to create resolution. There's a lot like nothing of the human experience, no range of emotion isn't invited into the practice. And I felt like, and and, um, when you work with emotions, you work with opposites. And I remember very specifically having this one time where I was meant to feel frustration and then I was meant to feel calm. And it was probably no more than 90 seconds in each. And when I went into frustration, it was like I was being electrocuted and, and like my heartbeat came up and I felt so much frustration. And it was like, as, that's what I'm saying. It's like a psychedelic journey. It was like, I didn't have control over it. I didn't know where it was coming from, but then the guidance said, let this go. And I watched it. It was like, it was like all the chemicals of, of frustration. It was like, it drained out of my body. And then the cue was, what does it feel like to be calm? And it was like, if uh, the tide went out with frustration, the time came, tide came in with calm. And then it, again, it was like this visceral chemical journey into calmness that, had my heart grow huge into this expanded bliss. Wow. And I was like, what just happened? You know, like it was so extreme. And uh, so that became really interesting to me because as a mother, um, psychedelics don't fit the same way as they did when I was (laughs) much younger. (laughs) Not that I did it a lot, but I definitely was curious. And it became this way of, I, what I now call the sober, the sober psychonauts journey. Mm. So I can trip out on my own chemicals now. I can trip out on, um, you know, my own hormones of stress, or I can trip on my own hormones of bliss in a conscious way that actually lets me finish an emotional experience that maybe got cut short, but it's like mm. replaying. Have you ever had that? Where right now I'm in a in a uh, situation where I'm like in shock of the way that I've been deceived by somebody that I trust. Mm. And I catch myself telling her off in my mind. Oh yeah. I've totally <laughs> like, been there. <laughs> yeah. And I catch myself telling her off in my mind. And and so 
I'm watching how I'm not resolved with this yet. You know, if I was resolved, I wouldn't be telling her off in my mind anymore. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I take this to my practice, what, I, what I've done now is I've found practices that let me feel betrayal and then restore trust. And I'm noticing that as I'm doing this as my practice, I'm not telling her off so much because I'm completing those feelings of betrayal within my practice. Mm. How are you doing that exactly? With the yoga nidra practice? With the yoga nidra. So are you like allowing yourself to go to those feelings and experiencing them fully as you're in the meditation kind of thing? Exactly. So you do this practice laying down and what happens when you watch your body fall asleep, there's like a intro. You don't just jump into the emotions. There's, it's almost like a, um, we actually use the mapping of the gray matter in the brain and how the body, so the amount of gray matter that my hand takes up in my brain is more than my torso when I'm looking at the sensory somatic experience. And so we use a map of the body that's tuned to the map of the gray matter in the brain of the sensory somatic experience. Mm -hmm. And you go through the body in a very systematic way so that the fluctuations of the brain or the fluctuations of your electrochemical systems come together. So instead of being distracted by 10,000 different things in your life, you bring it all together through sensing, feeling your body. And then once you get there, it's like a down-regulation of the speed. So you think if you've ever driven a standard, if you've ever gone from, you barely ever downshift to first gear, right? Because if you did, the engine would rev. But if you go from like second to third, instead of using the brake, it will slow the car down. And so what we're doing is, let's say I'm driving in third in my mind and I'm like, and I'm intense in my third, in my third gear and I'm telling off this person, but I don't want to be telling off this person by going through the body scan in the practice, mapping the brain, the gray matter in the brain, it's bringing my electrochemical system together. It's like pulling down from third into second. And then my whole nervous system just starts to rev a little slower and mm -hmm. everything starts to slow down. And you do it so gradually that you can actually go from second into, third, into first and it doesn't rev the engine, it goes and then it just comes down to a little purr. You know, my nervous system or the practitioner's nervous system, it comes down to this little purr and you just kind of cruise in this quieter place. And so the part of your mind that's the ego and the part of your mind that's analyzing and the part of your mind that is capable of creating hormones of stress, they all go on vacation and you get to play in a different part of your mind that is more, uh, more likely to have compassion, that's more likely to have empathy, that's more likely to open a door of perception that allows for an alternate story to be told. And when you get underneath that, you know, you get down to first gear in that slower brainwave uh, pattern, the opportunities to change the way that you show up in the world are infinite. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're doing. And I do, I've been creating these astronitras for almost five years now. And I have a good one for betrayal from Scorpio season from last year. So I've just been replaying that one. Like, this is what I need to work out right now. This is, you know? Wow. So do you have a lot of these recordings? You have these recordings for people to try as well? I do. I have a whole library. Okay. Um, Cause I got to yeah. share, I definitely need to share that. Definitely. Um, in the, in yeah. the show notes here. Yes. 
And actually, I can give your I can give all your listeners a deal on something. Depending, we'll have to talk about the exact date when you launch this. But I'm about to open up my new website where I could give your listeners fifty percent off the like a month. They can come for free, like everybody. Oh, but beyond that first week free, they can have fifty percent off to give it a try, even longer if they want. That would be awesome. So you have like a membership site where you're teaching a lot of this stuff. Is that like what exactly? How does that look? Okay, so it's called Attune to the Moon. It's really easy Mm. to remember. And up until the day that I launched the website, I've just been kind of dealing them out with the moon as the, as the, well, with the sun, as the sun changes signs. So if we're in Scorpio season, I would give a new Scorpio uh, practice. But the way that I actually use them is a little bit different. And so I created a website where the back end of the website isn't linked to a seven day, work week in the 24-hour clock. Instead, it's linked to the position of the star, the planets and the moon and the sun. And so what you see when you sign in for the membership are practices that are relevant to today's astrology, and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. So it gets rid of decision fatigue. You don't have to decide what you need because you have you do have choices. There's like probably at least six choices every day, but then they're changing. It's dynamic. The moon changes signs every two and a half days. Mm-hmm. And then Mercury changes signs every three-ish weeks, two to three weeks. And so you'll see the practices are constantly changing. And is that like meditation practices or like a combination of things? Yeah, there's uh, yoga, there's the astro nidras. And then there's embodied meditations. There's dream work. One of my Ooh, favorite things. I about love dreams. Oh yeah, dreams are the best. One of my favorite things is there's a seven-minute morning check-in where you wake up seven minutes, super quick and easy. And I'll give you a theme of where the sun's position and where the moon's position is that day. And it's just something to center yourself with. But then you also have a little practice to put you to bed at night that helps you set dream intention with, in alignment with the astrology. And so you can wow. take whatever's going on in your life and then kind of frame it to the perspective of how the astrology is trying to help you and then put it into an intention to put into your dreams. And then depending on how you dream, you can work out some stuff in your dream space. Wow. Are you so, are you like well-versed in the dream realm? So I have a woman I've been working with for close to 15 years. Her name's Sasha Bahador and she's our dream specialist. I'm a really good dreamer. I'm not really good at teaching dreams. She Mm. has on the other hand studied it a ton. Um, And so she does the dream work and she actually has a, well, it's not up right now. She did a, a, at the beginning of COVID, she did a series on helping people how to dream, but we're going to clean it up and make it more beautiful. And it won't be there when, probably when you guys are listening to this podcast, but soon she'll have a course on dreaming to help you remember your dreams, how to work in your dreams, dream intention, what they mean, yeah. and all that good stuff. Dreams are so fascinating. I've always had crazy dream experiences. I could literally write a book about how crazy these experiences have been. <laughs> Do you write them down? I do often. Yeah. And some of them are like, not even really dreams. It's like, I literally go somewhere else. Yeah. It's quite interesting. I think dreaming is one of the most fascinating things. Isn't it? Sometimes I'm like, I really, I think like, you know, we actually do travel to other places and then you wake up again and it's like a whole new beginning. Like, you know, we only have now. And so every day we like just wake up in this, we have memory obviously, but it's just, it's interesting, you know? Yeah. It's like the whole quantumness of it. 
Yeah. And there's so many new studies about dreaming coming out right now that are fascinating. One of the things that I read recently is that they less than 1% of the people can lucid dream. I don't know if you're lucid dreaming where you can like participate. I have a couple times. I have, it's not uh, like, it's not like mastery level for sure. <laughs> but it's a rare experience. But they're also saying that a lot of our, like our psyche works out so much of our day through our dream space. And so it's really important. And I study sleeping because it goes hand in hand with everything that we're doing. And, um, I mean, we could just, I could just go off on a massive tangent about sleeping, <laughs> but we only spend like, let's say in a 90 minute uh, sleep cycle, we only spend maybe 15 to 20 minutes dreaming. Mm. And so over the course of your night, depending how many hours of sleep you're getting, and if you get into the deep sleep realm, um, I mean, dreaming happens in theta, that's where the REM sleeping is happening. And then after the dream, you drop into this dreamless state and that's when you're in delta brainwaves and... What I've been working on in my dream world is to stay aware even in those delta brainwave states. Wow. And what I've noticed in the times that I do is that it takes me into like a ceremony, into a ceremonial space. Like I had um, a few months where consistently I was, it was like I was going into a shamanic ceremony and just being dosed with like a high, <laughs> a high dose of DMT or something where all of a sudden it was just like... And, and because yoga nidra and dreaming go and sleeping, it's all in the same world. And I've been studying, I've been, one of my practices is to watch myself falling asleep so I can see how deep I can go while watching. And if I can watch myself all the way through my dream and then drop into that deep Delta and find that shamanic moment, I feel like my entire life gets reorganized. All my inspiration, all my creativity, all my direction, everything that I'm creating, I've been like sourcing from that deep sleep awareness. It's, wow. Yeah. So what is the difference between that and like lucid dreaming? Lucid dreaming, you're still, and I, I might not be completely accurate on this. I'm not an expert. I just, I just love going there. Lucid dreaming, you're still in the theta brainwave states in mm. the REM sleep state. And it's, just about being aware. So the, in lucid dreaming, the difference between lucid dreaming and dreaming is that you're aware that you're dreaming and you can participate in the dream. Where a lot of people that are dreaming, they wake up and they're like, oh, where was I? Wow. Billie Eilish was in my dream last night. She was pregnant. <laughs> Whatever it was, like, where were we? How did I end up hanging out with Billie Eilish pregnant in my dream last night? That was really my dream last night. <laughs> you know, but you're not participating in the dream, you're, you're remembering bits and pieces of it. And then there's a whole bunch of people that wake up and they think they're not dreaming, but by all sleep experts, what they're saying is that you are dreaming. It's just whether you're remembering it or not. Mm -hmm. And so what I see it as, you know, is layers of awareness. Like how are we able to remain aware through different states, through different states? And that's what the yoga nidra teaches. Yeah. So it's different than sleep, but you can kind of technically fall asleep. You're just lying on your back, going through this meditation kind of visualization thing. <laughs> yeah, thing. This thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like trying to. I'm trying to picture it and understand it, and then I'm probably gonna like try it. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you one for sure. I'll send you a few. Um, yeah, it's what I think. Even in the, just like we talked about in dreaming, how there's 
you remember it, you don't remember it, you participate, you don't participate, you, like the different experiences within the dream. The same thing happens within the practice of yoga nidra. For, like I said, for a long time, I just slept through it, but I wasn't sleeping, but I wasn't dreaming, but I wasn't there. Like, where was I? So I started to, what, what we do in the practice of yoga nidra is you just train your mind how to be aware in different states. And one of my, one of those shamanic ceremony events in my dream space, what I was shown is that our ability to perceive anything in any moment or our ability to be aware in different states is all linked to a chemical experience through the endocrine system. And so the neurochemicals, the neuropeptides, the hormones, you know, you name it, I don't know the, the, the exactness of it all, but we are limited by them and we can be expanded by them. So right now, humanity shares a certain chemical composition that allows us to be aware in this 3D material world. Mm-hmm. And some people get this chemical composition that allows them to be aware in their dream world. And some people have a chemical composition that allows them to be psychic or to communicate mm-hmm. with animals or, you know, but this is a chemical composition that's happening inside of us. Mm. And other people have chemical compositions that keep them looping in post-traumatic stress disorder or in depression, but these are all chemical, electrochemical states that we are living in. And so the way that I approach this practice is to expand my ability to play in different chemical states, Mm. right? And so first, the first stage is purely to learn how to stay aware and like I don't know however old you are, you've spent that many years dropping awareness as you go to sleep. And so we're going against our nature. (laughs) You know, you want to drop awareness. You go to sleep, you want to go to sleep. And what we're doing in the practice is saying, yeah, let your body go to sleep, but keep your mind playing. Mm. Keep awareness alive to the experience that you're having of sleeping. And so so that happens first. Mm -hmm. It's a major hack. When I look at spiritual teachers... I love, um, I love just contemplating the concept of the Dalai Lama, where the con- like just not even who he is, the concept of the Dalai Lama is that there's this soul, this really badass mind that's able to remember itself lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And so I don't know how much you guys all know about who the Dalai Lama is and how we determine who the Dalai Lama is, but it, it it's the it's understood or it's a shared understanding that the mind of the Dalai Lama is the same mind reincarnating into different bodies yet returning to play a similar role in society. So that's why we have him like his holiness, the Dalai Lama. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> this sounds really disrespectful. I don't know. Is he the 14th? I think Dalai Lama, but they, but contemplating this, this uh, belief system, what they're saying is you can die, be aware of your death, be aware through the stages of the world beyond life, and then choose to come back into a body, into an environment, into a family that will support your own remembrance of rebirthing into being the Dalai Lama again. Wow. Uh Right? Like, 
whatever practices he's doing to be able to do that, I want to know what they are, <laughs> right? And what's he doing? He's doing, they have like a laying down meditation. They, he does lucid dreaming. If you get into the Tibetan teachings, they have the most badass lucid dreaming teachings that you can find out there. They do standing meditations, seated meditations, walking meditations, and laying down meditations. And so that's where, you know, I like to kind of source a lot of the techniques from is what are, what, what is enabling this human being to be so aware in all of the different states that he never loses himself even when he dies. That is really fascinating. <laughs> it's profound. I, I, I mean, I, it sounds like that's like, uh, I mean, like, I can't even have words for it. <laughs> I'm like trying to find the words, but like, yeah. If that's a potential possibility, that's what I keep thinking. If it's a potential possibility that there are people doing this, because it's not just the Dalai Lama, it's the Karmapas and it's other, um, you know, rishis, they would say in some of the yogic traditions that it's a possibility out there. So if it's a possibility, I want to get as close to that as I can. Yeah. I mean, that's like basically technically immortality if you want to get really technical. Exactly. Because you're, well, I mean, the awareness of all of it at least is like, yeah. oh, I'm just aware of all these different states and shifts and physical and non-physical and... Yeah. That's really fascinating. And the average human being can't even remember a dream, <laughs> you know? So doing these practices moves you into the realm of the exceptional. It's a different kind of privilege or it's a different kind of elite to be able to remain aware in all states. And, you know, you, we can pull this back into something that's valuable for each and every individual that's not remembering their dreams even is like, have you ever been overtaken by an emotion? And you lose yourself in an emotion like anger. You know, I shared that I'm angry right now and to, I'm noticing that the practice enables me not to get lost in that anger. Mm -hmm. It's not overtaking my life. Yeah, sure. I get these little tangles of my mind where I tell her off for a second and then I'm like, <laughs> wait, come back. Cause I'm aware that I'm getting lost in a state. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I lived in California for seven years. And so I was very much uh, connected to this election. And without saying what, where my belief system lies, I, what I made my practice this election was that I wanted to understand the other, the other side's position. That mm -hmm. was my whole, that was the whole thing. Cause I can't vote. I'm Canadian, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm invested because I care about America. My husband's American. And I think that it like, what's going on in the U S affects the whole entire world. And it's really easy to get caught up. I think the U S has the most emotional political structure possible. And so my whole, my whole relationship with this election was like, okay, so what do you believe in? What do you believe? And just going down rabbit holes of all of it. And what I realized was the American political system, it's a spell. We are, under a spell. So the Democrats have their own spell and the Republicans have their own spell. And within that spell, they're unable to see outside of the spell. And so to go in and see it from the other side is to break that spell. Like all mm -hmm. of a sudden, yes, I was very strong in my viewpoint, my opinion, and my belief. And all of a sudden, as I broke free from that spell, 
I became more compassionate and aware and I was able to still be really firm. Like I think all humans should have a place, you know, I'm, I, I'm like, yeah, I think, I think humanity definitely needs to lead the way, but I was also able to see where perhaps an opposing view was still coming from that place of humanity. Mm -hmm. Even though when I was under the spell of one viewpoint, I was unable to see how there was any humanity in that. That makes sense that it just kind of like shifts you into a greater awareness. Yeah. It's kind of like you can zoom out more. Yes. Exactly. That's powerful. That's so powerful. Yeah. Well, this Fun. has been like such an f- epic conversation. I feel like we could talk about all the things. Um, thank you so much for diving into all of this, the astrology, the yoga nidra, the dream stuff, the, you got me thinking outside the box for sure on something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so where can people like find you and connect with you and, and check out the things that you have to offer and everything that you're doing? The easiest, I mean, everybody's on IG on Instagram and I've got attuned to the moon on Instagram, which is pretty small still, but we're working on it. And then my own is just my name. It's Jana underscore Romer. I'm sure it'll be listed somewhere mm-hmm. to get the spelling. Yeah. And then the website is attuned to the moon.com. And uh, that, that really is the treasure chest. And one of the things that um, I've been trying to do is find a different home on the internet mm-hmm. other than Instagram. <laughs> and so that's where, that's one of the, one of the motivations behind attuned to the moon beyond an ability to share practice, but that there's a community there as well. Mm. And so, and then you can also find me on this other app. It's called insight timer. Insight I don't know timer. if you've ever heard of it. Mm-mm. Insight timer is a free meditation app. There's so much free content on there. Um, and I have free content, but I also have a 10 day course, um, called overcoming obsessive thinking. And that's a very popular place to hang out and like to hang out with my teachings is super affordable and really easily accessible. And then I also, I host virtual new moon circles. Nice. And new moon circles are, they're, they're, I don't think they're what you think of a new moon circle. I'm not dressed all in white and burning sage and <laughs> praying. That's not the way I do it. I'm like, well, you, you met me now, you know, my intensity, I'm <laughs> really intense and I like to kind of bend your mind. And so in the new moon circles, we do some connection work, but it's also a place where we can talk about what's real and work with the astrology and work with themes that, that you can actually bring into your life and, and, you know, allow them to upgrade you. So those are my main places. So awesome. I'll make sure to leave those in the show notes as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of this, Jana. This was awesome. Do you have any like last words, last things that you want to say before we wrap it up? I think if I were to want to say anything else, it would be to remain adaptable, you know, to let yourself be your own favorite creative project to work on you know, like, like your creative project is you. And so let yourself be adaptable and changing and present to what is actually happening, not what you want to happen so that you can, you know, live from that advantage point. I specifically said advantage point, not that vantage point. (laughs) It becomes an advantage when you 
are rooted in reality instead of positive thinking. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank this is you so awesome. Me. It's been amazing to connect. Likewise. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes and hit the subscribe button. If you want extra motivation to manifest a life and business that you're obsessed with, then find me on Instagram at the spiritual boss babe or visit spiritualbossbabe.com. I love you and appreciate you so, so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. I hope you have a magical day. Thank you.